Do I regret calling out Herman's? No. Do I regret that I'll probably never play there again? I could care less. I'm not attacking Victoria. It's one of the problems with social media is that it presents this safe space for people to complain and call people out without actually having a conversation. Welcome to Jazz Office Hours. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and on the other line, the birthday boy. Happy bladed birthday to Corey Weeds. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. Thank you for the wishes. I had a fantastic birthday. It was an incredible, uh, incredibly long, drawn out celebration, which is exactly the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, you had a you had a few gigs to kind of mark the occasion, some bigger gigs. But before you did those local gigs, which are now this past weekend, as of when this is coming out. You went on a bit of a tour. You hit the road with piano player Michael Weiss, who has a great seller album out called Persistence. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about how that tour went in general? Because I'm really curious to hear. Yeah, well, first of all, before Michael Weiss, I was in Pittsburgh. I was brought out to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, A drummer friend of mine brought me out there for what essentially was, uh, I guess, four days which was phenomenal. Pittsburgh is an incredible, um, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, you think about New York as the, as New York, you know, and then you hear about Detroit and the history that Detroit has, um, you know, maybe Philadelphia, Chicago, but kind of sandwich in the middle there is, is, uh, is Pittsburgh. Mary Lou Williams, Billy Strayhorn, Ray Brown, Art Blakey, um, Stanley Turrentine, Tommy Turrentine, uh, Sonny Clark, maybe it's a lot of names, but there's a lot of names. So there's a very rich history there. So I had a really good time just hanging out in that town. It's a very neat town. Um, and we did two gigs and two uh, clinics, which was great. And then I flew to Seattle to meet up with Michael Weiss. And, um, you know, I can't remember how much you and I talked before that tour, but I was pretty worked up about this tour for a number of reasons. Um, you know, not the least of which was the music, which I love. Persistence is one of my favorite, um, albums on the label without question. I think it's a phenomenal album, but the music is a little bit out of my comfort zone. Okay. Um, and so I was quite worked up about it. I certainly learned a lot about myself leading up to and during and after that tour with Michael. Um, but I I was pretty worked up. I I was pretty angst ridden about the whole thing. Oh, like Um, I thought you were going to say you were excited, but no, you mean you were like kind of anxious. No, no, I was, I mean, I was excited, but no, no, I was the opposite. I was, I was, I mean, at times I felt scared, you know, I was really worked up about not doing a good job and maybe not being the right tenor player for the gig and, and just really, and you know, you have to understand that from all the other people that I brought out that I've developed friendships with, like, and exactly that developed friendships, like Michael Don and, and David Hazeltine and, and all of those kinds of guys, they didn't have that context with Michael. And so there were just a lot of things that kind of led me to be feeling really nervous. Wow. Um, and those fears were kind of confirmed after the first couple of gigs. Oh, no. Um, but Michael was really cool. He was really supportive, um, and very helpful, very, very helpful and gave me 
some really simple but very effective advice. I think that we've all given ourselves, it's not like what he told me I had never heard before, but in the moment when you're sort of freaking out, you know, some of the things he said were really, really beneficial. And once we hit Vancouver, we played Frankie's. Um, and then <clears throat> everything kind of just sort of took off from there. By no means did I feel like I, um, you know, it, it, it was sort of get through the tour, have fun, do the best you can. I didn't finish that tour thinking, wow, you know, I'm really an incredible saxophonist. I, I finished that tour thinking I got through, I had a good time. I learned a lot that I can take into things moving forward and I would probably do it again. But yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. And I, it, as I'm listening to myself talk, it, it was fun. It was fun. It was just, it was a little different than other tours for that reason. I also wasn't the leader. And yeah. that's another thing that should be, you know, mentioned is that it wasn't my, it wasn't my music. It wasn't my band. I was the leader in that I was taking care of everything. Uh, but musically I wasn't really the leader, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was very, uh, beneficial. It was very worthwhile. It was a lot of fun. And as I said, I learned a ton about myself just sort of personally and kind of musically. And, you know, two things he said, the two things that he said that made everything monumentally easier were play the melody and let some chord changes go by. And those are two things that seem very simple. But as I said, when you're in the moment, it's like, oh, you know, he has got some tricky little changes. And he said, you're not going to be able to play my changes unless you really understand the melody. And it just flipped the way I thought about these kinds of things. And it made for a much more effective, uh, a much more effective gig tour experience, you know, so... It was good. And then I got back and had a minute to rest. And then I brought Jeremy Pell to town, which was the complete opposite experience because I was the leader. And so it was my people and, and my music and I had, you know, control over what was happening. And it was a, a, a very rewarding and very, um, uh, fulfilling, you know, two nights. I played two nights with, uh, with Jeremy. It was great. So, you know, these, these are all experiences and it's nice to know at almost 50 years old, you know, I still have a lot to learn and, you know, can learn and take that stuff to heart and get better, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot to, to go on there. Cause then, yeah, you came back and you played two nights at Frankie's as you did with Michael Weiss, but with Jeremy Pelt. So that's a comparable thing where you get that experience of yep. like, okay, even though I was doing the tour coordination because I'm the seller guy, I was a side person on the bandstand with Michael Weiss. You're talking about what you learn from that, which is a great lesson for this show too. That's a cool thing to pull out of it. It's not just like rah, rah, oh, the tour went great, but you actually have like these specific things that you've been learning on the tour, which is awesome. And yeah, then when you, you got to cool. Jeremy Pelt, you not only got to play in a small group with him at those two headline dates at Frankie's, but you also got to invite him to the Vancouver Jazz Orchestra. And I was talking with James Dandifer about that too. And so then you had that kind of experience with him as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was, it was just a big learning experience, you know, even going into the Pelt gigs and, 
you know, I was quite nervous about playing with Jeremy as well, because Jeremy, we have a friendship, but we've never really played together. You know, I felt like I conquered a big thing last year when I went to New York and we recorded this record with Adam Schulman, where the music was really challenging. And I was the alto player on the front line with Grant Stewart and Jeremy Pelt. You can imagine how scary that is. Huh. Uh, when I felt like I, you know, I felt like I sort of conquered that, but I'd never shared the stage with Jeremy in that way. And there's something about Jeremy that has intimidated me in the past. I, I don't know what it is and I don't really care to speculate because it doesn't matter. But yeah, it was, it was just, I learned that for me, it's not that I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I'm happy to be out of my comfort zone, but I have the most success when I'm in control and I need to learn to not get so worked up and remember that I'm actually a pretty good musician and there's that, you know, and that's a hard thing to kind of admit to yourself sometimes, but I wasted a lot of time being worked up for no reason. I was really, really worked up about the Michael Weiss tour, huh. really, really worked up, you know, <laughs> Um, probably more worked up than I had been for anything I'd ever done in my life before. And I've done some, you know, I wasn't worked up when I played with Joey D. Um, you know, I wasn't worked up when Christian McBride asked me to sit in at the cellar. Um, you know, none of that. This, I was very worked up. And I, I mean, I care, you know, I really care and I wanted to serve the music the best way I could. And just because I don't play like Eric Alexander or Walt Weisskopf doesn't mean I'm not serving the music the best I can. You know, totally. and I made a new friendship and Michael's an interesting guy. Um, I think he's a little bit misunderstood, but he was great. He was great to have on the road. He's very serious about the music. He's extremely knowledgeable and very fun to play with. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was a really cool experience. One of the funnier things is that when you get to the end of the tour, we had a duo concert. I'm like, oh God, I can't wait to get to the duo concert because that's going to be easy. And then it's like, wait a minute. Playing duo is not easy with, with, <laughs> with any, with anybody. So, um, you know, um, it was just, it was great. Everything was, was great. So I was really happy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got to play, play all those changes with the melody in mind. You don't have anybody else to cover your butt. You just, it's just you and him, yeah. right? And it was just amazing though, when he would give me some lessons and he would tell me some things and then I list, did what he said and listened to the melody. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not as hard as it, 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 you know, I mean, we're getting technical here, but I have this sort of thing that I've struggled with that I'm sure lots of musicians struggle with where you sort of approach everything bar by bar. So you see chord, chord, chord. Now when you're playing music that's in a tonality, so you see a bunch of chords, but you're like, oh no, that's just B flat or that's just in the key of F. Michael's music is not really like that. You know, there's some, it's not really like that. However, it doesn't necessarily change how you should approach it. You know, don't go chord by chord. Think about it. Think about the melody. Let some chords go by, you know. And at the end of the tour, it was funny, the duo concert, he said, oh man, you're stealing some of my stuff. That was a great compliment because I was really listening to him. He's a very melodic player. Um... And when you hear him play over his own tunes, there's nothing in there that's like, oh my God, like I, that's some crazy this or that. It's just very logical. It's swinging and beautiful, but it's very logical. So I started to listen a lot to that and, you know, it was great. So Nice. Yeah, I don't think that's too technical. I think that's interesting, even if you're a fan of this of this music and you don't play all the time, it's, it's interesting to hear little bits about that, about how people mm -hmm. approach these things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as coming towards the end of the tour, 
mm-hmm. um, there's kind of an elephant in the room about that because last week uh, you took to social media and uh, something happened uh, at a date that you had on this tour with Michael Weiss mm-hmm. at a venue uh, in BC, which the the post is now gone, which is probably smart because, you know, social media is not, as we've talked about a few times, not always the best venue for these kind of things. Things can get out of hand, but you you had an issue with this venue, which you can control how much of this story you want to convey <laughs> to our audience here. But seeing as how that post is gone now, and I did see it when it was out last week, along with a couple hundred other people probably who engaged with it. Um, I'm curious what what happened here to the extent that however you want to uh, tell the story and what did you take away from it? Yeah, that could be just for the gig itself, but also mm-hmm. just for this weird experience that you had sharing it. What, what happened uh, with this particular incident on this tour? Well, first of all, yeah, let me back up and try to speak concisely about the way I feel about things in general. Um, first of all, I've always, always been willing to stand up and say, I'm not perfect. I'm the kind of person that learns from making mistakes. I've always been like that. It pains me to watch my kids go through and be the same way that I am. Uh-huh. I make mistakes and that's how I learn. I'm not perfect. I will not continue to be perfect or I will continue to be imperfect. I will continue to make mistakes, but I have never, ever shied away from real dialogue. I don't like being challenged. I'm sensitive. I'm defensive. I'm all those things, but you cannot deny that I care about the music and you cannot deny that I do my best to make sure that everybody is, is getting their fair share of, of what they should be getting. And again, do I always hit the mark? No, I don't. I also need to say, I'm not at liberty to talk about Frankie's and Frankie's pay scale because I'm an employee of that club. I don't own it. Although I have great influence there about the way things work, it's just not appropriate for me to talk specifics. However, I can certainly talk about and give context to how I approach things. So we can go through every club and every organization and every place in this country and say that it's not enough. Nobody pays enough. You give a musician $500, it should be $550. You give a musician $1,200, it should be $13. You give a musician $10,000, it should be $11. So there's that. Secondly, social media is a complete wasteland, and I I regret two things. Um, I regret that I didn't think about and organize my initial post better. Right. I should have organized it, and but you know, in this fast-moving world, and I'm as fast as they come. You know, I just did it because I was pissed off. Um. So there's that. My goal, however, was to. Uh, and I did speak with Herman several times, um, offline. I did sort of threaten, although threaten is a strong word, but I did sort of say like, you need to make this right and I'm willing to work with you. And they just weren't willing to work with me. Hence the post. What I regret about posting is that the 0.01% of negativity that came at me caused me some anxiety. Mm. 
Uh, and I don't mind negativity. That's fine. But a few people decided to reach out. A few people decided to rail on me about Frankie's policies and all of that kind of stuff, but wouldn't back it up with a phone call, you know, or wouldn't back it up with a return message. And that's not ever going to do anything. So we can all be tough people online, but I'm one of the few, I think, or, or at least I'm thinking I'm one of the few that, you know, let's go out for coffee. Like, call me, let's have a chat about it. Um, so if you take something like Frankie's, for example, Frankie's has no door deals. Frankie's is a guarantee five nights a week. They have empowered me to come up with guarantees that reflect how we're going to do on any specific night. And I'd like to think after 25 years of doing this, 20 years of doing this, I'm, I'm pretty good. Do I always hit the mark? No, I don't. But we're not set up to do bonus structures. We're set up to offer a guarantee. And if we come in, if we guarantee $1,000 and we only bring in $600 at the door, we're not going to come back at you and say, oh, you owe us $400. Yeah, we only want to pay you $600. Consequently, if we are or on the other side, if we do $1,600 at the door and we guaranteed you $1,000, we're going to give you $1,000. Just to also catch that bonus structure, if somebody's not familiar, what I understand that to mean uh, is... If you were guaranteed, if you were paid flat $1,000 for the band's gig, but then you did $2,000 at the door, maybe you would get half of that extra thousand as well. So maybe you would get $1,500 just to plug yep, in some that's, numbers. That's what you mean by bonus structure. Yep, and that's the way we used to do it at the seller. Um, but yeah. you, what you have to remember about the seller is that there were a lot of door gigs at the seller. Um, you know, we were for profit and we were small. And so I had to fight and claw you know, um, I had to fight and claw for everything. Um, so, you know, we give dinner, you know, we buy you dinner. We give you, uh, there's usually an MC there. Um, you're getting a, a really good piano. Um, you're getting a good sound guy. Um, you're getting an optimal place to play your music. You're not being told to turn down or turn up or you're, you know, don't play any Ornette Coleman or don't do this or don't do that. You, you get to do what, what it is that you do. As I said, have there been bands that have come in and accepted an, a thousand dollar guarantee and watched the club pull in $2,000? Yeah, probably it's fairly rare, but it's happened and it'll continue to happen. And as the booker of that place, as an employee of that place, the way I deal with that is I say, okay, I missed the mark on this one. The next time you're here, we'll adjust things accordingly. But yes, the fact of the matter is, and Herman's is the same way, is that we use a lot of the surplus that we make from the musicians to continue to operate and be able to bring the club to you. But let's not forget you're getting a good guarantee. That's the, that's the vibe. It's a mm -hmm. good guarantee. Generally. Now, if you're an unknown person from Toronto, I'm not the Yardbird suite where we have funding and I have to go, well, yes, I understand you're from Toronto or I understand you're coming from the island, but nobody knows who you are. Mm -hmm. If you're Mike Murley coming from there or Neil Swainson coming from there or Mike Murley coming from there or Red Schwager coming from, that's different. But if you're so-and-so coming from there, like, I'm sorry, I can't offer you $1,500 in three hotel rooms. I can't do it. Yeah. You know, I just, I just can't do it. And if you think that that's a, a problem 
with our pay structure, then I, I can't change your mind. Yeah. So you take my situation in Herman's and let's, let's, let's get one thing clear. One of my favorite things to do is to go to Victoria and play at Herman's. I love that place. I've had a lot of fun there. I've done a lot of great gigs there. There's been a lot of drama and a lot of stuff that's gone on there that I, I got my own problems. I don't want to get involved in. I don't agree with the way that they approach things, but it's not my place. So I just sit back and watch. I have played there for 80-20 door split, which is fairly standard. Mm-hmm. And I was booked for this particular gig under that assumption. Never in writing. I never got it in writing. I have never got anything in writing from Herman's ever. Uh, then they changed it to some, it's not a 50-50 door structure, but that's the way essentially it works out. Uh-huh. And I had a choice. I could cancel the gig or I could do it under these new terms. And I had already had a huge tour booked. So like I couldn't get out of it. Like I'd already guaranteed the guys the money and guaranteed the guys the work. So we did it. Leading up to the gig, which again was a mistake. I should kept my mouth shut and just done the gig, but I was getting mad. I was I was angry because I, I really got into like, wait a minute, that club's not doing well. I brought seventy five people and you brought in eighteen hundred dollars and you're gonna give me nine hundred. And I just don't think it's fair. And I just, I don't think it's fair. So, and everybody's, well, not everybody, but some people are like, well, you know, your pay structure, like I'm, and look, well, you know, you know me well enough. I'm not, I'm not out there saying, Cor- I'm the man, I'm Corey Weeds. But look, the fact is my career is such that people know who I am and it's kind of a deal when I play in Victoria. I also brought Michael Weiss, who has played with every famous saxophone player on the planet. Johnny Griffin, Joe Henderson, Junior Cook. It goes on and on and on and on. Like it was an event. It was a $30 event and we brought 80 people. Yeah. It's not me going over there as a solo, you know? And the fact is, is that if they don't want to adjust their pay structure, then they're going to be a B-level jazz club because nobody's going to play there. Jim Rotundi and Dick Oates canceled. Sam Taylor and Terrell Stafford went over there and got destroyed. Um... You know, and I, quite frankly, I don't think Herman's does what they could be doing in terms of their promo. So you're getting 50% of the door, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, why, why? Like, what am I getting out of the deal? So again, before people jump down my throat, they're like, oh, you signed the contract. No, I didn't sign the contract. The contract was switched and yeah, I had to stay. So I did contact them. I had a nice conversation with the board, the board, the, the, the secretary of the board, and I said, you know, you, I'm going to give you a couple chances to make this right. And if you do, I'll go away quietly and I'll continue to help you or consult with you if you so wish. And they didn't do it. Hence my post. But I should have chilled out a little bit before I did the post. Um, and it's one of the problems with social media is that it gives people, it, it presents this safe space for people to complain and call people out without actually having a conversation. Um, and that's what I regret. Do I regret calling out Herman's? No. Do I regret that I'll probably never play there again? I could care less. Do I regret, um, you know, how the local musicians might feel? Maybe a little bit, but this has nothing to do with local musicians. This has to do, and you know, you have to, you also have to, like, I'm not attacking Victoria. This is not an attack on Victoria. This is an attack on a situation that was handled poorly by that organization who quite frankly has hired a lot of 
things poorly. And in their defense, they've gone through a lot of heck since Herman died and the whole fight with the building and, you know, so, um, that was basically, that's the gist, you know, and again, I'll make mistakes. I'll, I'll make some, I'll make some mistakes. I mean, all of my stuff should pay better, but I'm in this for the long haul. So I don't think you're going to find a lot of people complaining about my pay structure and my various things. I'm trying to, I'm trying to create and do stuff. And the market is such that it's hard. And I don't have the power to change the whole pay scale for the whole world of jazz musicians. Everybody's going, oh, a hundred dollar jazz gig. You know, it's been around since the nineties. Well, I don't pay a hundred dollars. So, you know, um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You come into Frankie's on a, on a weekend and you usually walk out. If you're the main show in a local band, you usually walk out with 175 bucks plus dinner. Is it enough? No, it does, doesn't match up with the house prices and the rent prices and how much it costs to buy a head of lettuce, but it's not too bad, you know? And we're one of the only sort of full-time, like actual jazz clubs you know, oh, the Rex does this. I'm like, well, yeah, the Rex is also in a much bigger city. It's also in the, on the corner of one of the, it's the busiest, inter, one of the busiest intersections in the country. Context. It's not just, we should pay 250 bucks for everybody. I mean, that'd be great. But the we want to keep our cover low so people keep coming and we want to keep, so there's a, there's a flip, you know, there's a flip side. I also don't. I don't like the, now I'm really going off, but I really don't like the, we can no longer make a living as a full-time musician in Vancouver. That ship sailed a long time ago. It didn't start last year when the mortgage rates went up. It didn't start, that ship has sailed a long, long time ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, and I'm not an expert. I, I'm sure there are studies as to why things change, but I, I'm so sick and tired of people blaming the $100 gig on that's the reason why, you know, there's no transit and there's no, there, being able to make a, a living as a musician, a full-time musician ended a long time ago. And you'd have to talk to somebody much smarter than me to find out why. But this didn't start last year. This didn't start post-COVID. This didn't start during COVID. It's been like that for a, for a long time. Yeah. So we need to get that part of it out of the conversation. And I, I don't know. Again, I, 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 I'm happy to sit on a committee or do something that de deals with that. But that ship sailed a long time ago. Yeah. So totally. I think the, 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 if the worst thing that comes out of this is that I alerted some people who had gigs over there who have since bailed. Like, here's the other thing. Musicians don't read their contracts. So, I mean, I deal with that every day. Like, did you read the confirmation I sent out? You didn't. And that's fine. I'm not great at reading either. But a lot of musicians just, oh, yeah, it's just a Herman's deal, 80-20. And, you know, Paul Pagat had a problem and I got four or five calls from people saying, I have work coming up there that I'm getting out of. And I'm not trying to hurt Herman's. I'm not trying to bring Herman's down. But... You can't run your club on the backs of the musicians. You can certainly take your percentage. And the fact is, is the model might just not work. And I told them that like your model 
you may have to go out of business if you can't make that model work. I brought 80 people to your club. It's your job to sell booze and sell food and to make that viable, but not by taking 50% of my money. Just no. And they're like, well, we have to. I'm like, well, then you're going to go out of business and you're going to be a B-level jazz club and that's fine. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, so... And it doesn't, just because I've owned my own club and I run one, it doesn't make me an expert. It doesn't make me smarter than anybody else, but it's just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to subsidize their club, period. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for going into detail on the story because that matches up well with what you said in the original post that isn't available anymore. So people can get an idea of what happened, especially from the latter part of you telling the story here it's pretty much what you wrote and it's what you wrote in the original post and the the comments where you ended up kind of clarifying where you're at to other people it's probably a good format to tell that story here versus there because here you have unlimited time to to tell it right and so you can uh you can paint the the rest of the picture that that'll get lost right so yeah that's that's good to know one you know i generally think there's two answers to a gig, yes or no. Yeah. I mean, there. I guess there can be some negotiation and some clarification of points, but you should never take a gig and then offer an education on why that gig isn't what it should be. Yeah. I mean, you take a gig or you don't. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I got a call from a, uh, I got a call from a, pres- uh, for a private gig. I gave them my quote, I quoted high, but not like obscenely high. And they accepted and they said, we'd like to talk to you about the set list. And I was like, "Uh oh, okay. Oh. So we had a conversation as it turns out, I had worked for them before and they asked about some conditions like to, to, in terms of the location, I was like, you know what? No, I can't do it. I don't want to play there. Okay. Okay. We'll put you in the main dining room. Okay, great. It's like, yeah, we're thinking for this one. It's like a, it's kind of like a Django Reinhardt, like a twenties, thirties vibe. And I'm like, I'm not your guy, huh? but I'll give you 10 numbers of people that would do that gig better. Now, somebody listening to this might be going, Corey, you're such a jerk. Like I have, yes, I have the means in which I can turn down gigs. And a lot of people don't have that. And I respect that. My point though is no, you give me the conditions of the gig. I don't agree. Therefore, I don't want to do the gig. You don't take the gig, be a jerk and play bebop from the fifties and sixties and say, well, you know, you should have, you know, you should, you should know me. Like they laid out the conditions. I said, no. Yeah. End End of negotiation. It's over at that point. Like there's nothing left to like, it's over. And, and so if I had a said yes, you'd just say yes and you'd do the gig. You don't say, well, you know, it should pay $600 because you're making me play in this space and you should pay $800 because I don't really play like Django Reinhardt. No, yes or no. Yes or no. And that's the end of it. And if you say, I've, I've never, I've always respected for the most part, I, I think I've maybe fallen short a couple of times. I've always respected a musician's um, answer to a gig for whatever reason they, you know, I've been offended. I think at times I've been offended probably when 
somebody has said, yeah, it doesn't pay enough. I don't want to do it. I probably have gotten pissed off at times, but in general, I respect you. Here's the gig, do it. I'll just go on to the next person. Yeah. So, you know, that's the way I feel about it. And, and to, to tie that back to Herman's, I wasn't given that opportunity. I was, I took a gig, I said yes, and then they switched it and I sort of had no choice. Yeah. You know. And, and do I regret yeah. doing the gig? No, I don't regret doing the gig. I actually don't regret doing the gig. It was a great way to end the tour. I had a great time. I was just, it really left me with a sour taste in my mouth. Totally. You know? yeah. yeah. Now, a few follow-ups uh, on that. Um, one of them that is the most recent is I just, uh, somebody wrote to me and, and asked me to do a freelance writing thing, which I've never had happen before because mm. I guess now that I've written more stuff, like the Canadian arts people, some somebody recommends me to do like a freelance writing thing okay. and so instead of being like oh awesome yes and say yes right away i was like oh well uh, and this doesn't have a bad ending this has a happy ending i'm gonna do it okay. just to be clear but like i i did something that's probably in the vein of what we're talking about here which is right i just popped in all the the questions like the kind of housekeeping things you would need to sort out when doing something like that so that I could check in on all those things beforehand. Because maybe if you don't, and you say yes to this kind of thing, maybe it's like they're going to put you in the lobby and you're going to have to play yeah. Django jazz when that's not really your bag. Yeah. I was yeah. like, because um, it was about writing about something in advance of like a big concert that they were presenting at their nonprofit right. or something. And so I was okay. like, uh, to what extent, these are the five questions that I asked right away that I could think of. To what extent will my writing be edited and by who? Will I be granted a byline or credit or bio or link out on the published work? Like, will it maybe not even have my name on it? Um, right. What would be the deadline to turn in the draft? Uh, who would I invoice and how would payment be issued? Because, you know, yep. with little freelance things, sometimes that ends up sucking up more time. Or if you knew how much time that was going to suck up, maybe you wouldn't have said yes to it in the first place. Sure. And uh, where will it be published and when? You know, I, I, I assign writing to other people like... Uh, Isabel Leong just reviewed the new Star Project album. Chris yep. Fraser writes reviews for me. So I signed stuff to them. So I know how all that works. So I was like, well, I'm going to ask all this stuff right now. And then they respond to me right away. And I was like, okay, green flags, as the kids say, not red flags. So that all that all looks good to me. So uh, I'm right. going to say yes to this thing. But I checked in about all those questions first, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, you know, I deal with that all the time. I book, just booked the Lumiere Festival for Julianne, who have a great relationship with, she's awesome. Um, but she's a lot like me, um, fast moving. And I got Casey who I've been working with, who's my intern to deal with it. And she did a phenomenal job, but there was a checklist that we didn't have that we should have had. Now it was fine. Nothing was weird. Everything went well. All the musicians were cool. It was a very good paying gig, which always helps. Um, so it was fine. I mean, everything was fine, but I said to Casey, like, if we get asked to do this again, or we get asked to do similar sort of things, um, you know, we need a checklist. And I think that sometimes musicians or freelancers, we're a little scared to ask too many questions, Yeah, you know, and, and like, how will I be paid? When will I be paid? All those things, like it, it really does pay to have that stuff together. It's yeah, important. totally. And yeah. that's like, you know, if, if, you, if you're in that situation where you're worried that people are going to withhold work from you just because you asked basic questions yeah. that you have the right to know the answer to, you would say that that's toxic, right? So you wouldn't want to take totally. on a toxic freelance gig. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, 
yeah, you know, it's uh, all those things, all those things, you know, all those things are super important without question. Yeah. Um, one other follow-up on this whole uh, incident that's not related to the incident itself, but it's something else I noticed around your Vancouver Island gigs. Um, and without really zeroing in on on what it was, uh, I've experienced this too. Not with my recent gigs. I just played some Vancouver gigs and they all went pretty solidly. But sometimes maybe, uh, you know, in terms of things you could set up beforehand, uh, what's on that checklist, it's interesting of how do you co-promote to the maximum effectiveness with the venue? How do you make sure that the venue is promoting you as well as they can and vice versa how do you work together on like what you post etc and how you get the word out and are you on the same page and maybe there will be a situation where like a venue will try and plug you but they'll like use the wrong album like it won't be the new album or it won't be the new band and so like i can't imagine imagine what you're referring to. i don't know who did that but (laughs) yeah i mean you know, first of all, it, it, it's a, you wear sort of two hats. I got two hats. Um, I think it depends on the venue. Like nature of the beast is that when you're getting paid a guarantee that you're happy with, you lighten up on the promo. I mean, it's just human nature, right? Like, well, and I'm not saying I think like this, but, you know, why should I? I'm getting my money. Who cares? And, you know, that's an attitude. Really, what can I do in Whitehorse, for example? Like, I have no, I mean, so, you know, you post something that says, hey, looking forward to coming to Whitehorse. Um, So I, I think it really depends on each venue. But since you brought it up, and I know you would never purposely bait me, but you know, yeah. Can you get it right? Like you're going to take half my money and you screw up the promo. Yeah. Because look again, (laughs) I'm not saying this because I think I'm all that, but when you mention, like the fact is, is probably more people know who I am in Victoria than they know who Michael Weiss is. Period. There, I said it. That's a local thing. That's just how it is. You keep, you keep that out of out of your promo. You put the wrong record. You put a trio album. You did nothing to help that. And then you take half my money. Yeah. I guess the question is just like, is there anything... I mean, that's an edge case, right? That's extreme. You're not going to encounter that level of misposting like with 99% yeah. of venues. But can you do anything? Or do you do those just... Ha- you take those L's once in a while and it just happens? Like, Yeah, what, I mean, I'm, what do you I'm do? sure you can do... I mean, I think you... You know, I, I think... Like for me, I'm like, okay, what are the, what are the important gigs in terms of getting people out? Do I have a reach there? You know, there's this whole thing around social media. I'm like, great. I have a billion followers, but I don't know how many of them live in Victoria. Like, why does it matter if I have a, like, I I don't get the correlation, but you know, generally speaking with the, with the, with the venue owner and saying like, what would you like us to do? What do you do? Like, you know, again, I'll use Frankie's as, as an example. Frankie's pretty you know pretty solid kind of thing like you do you know they do their social media and it it is what it is i don't know if you noticed that i've taken it over a little bit um i haven't it's a fully operational jazz club that has a uh you know so it just sort of rolls so we don't do a whole lot i don't do a whole lot when i play there 
I'll do a post. Um, I, I mean, well, it just, I think it really just depends. I think it just, I think it just really depends on the venue and who you're dealing with and, and the time that you have and, and, um, all of those kinds of things, uh, you know, just, it really depends. Yeah. Um, but I think making sure that the venues have the proper information is important. Making sure that they're, they're being put in the best position to, um, you know, to do that. Um, yeah. So it just, it really depends. I don't think there's a cookie cutter way to do it. It just depends. Yeah. And part of that is, uh, you're probably not going to be able to discern in advance how a venue is going to treat the co-promotion tasks with you. So it's like, yeah. maybe you will play at a place and you will realize, wow, these people are really good. I would love to play there again. I'm looking forward to playing there again. They did a great job of bringing people. I've, I've toured just barely enough that I've calibrated my sense of this. Like I remember the places where like the folk clubs in Canada that were great at it, where we could yeah. waltz in there, right? Yeah. And uh, and then you remember the places where it didn't work, and like you didn't you didn't line up enough to to get people out there, and so then you're like, well, even if there's something else I like about that place, I probably shouldn't play there again, at least not right now, because it's probably not going to work out. But it's hard to know in advance. That's the it tough is. part. Yeah, it is. It is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then in terms of just local gigs, like it, it really isn't as high stakes. Like if you are playing in your own city, you have tons of time to like go back and forth with these local people and get stuff right. Like you don't right. have to get everything right in your first email. It is important to include certain things. And we'll talk about that in kind of our focus question here in just a second, when you send a, a submission style email or an application style email. But the reality is if you're in the same city as Corey or, or Tim or whoever, you know, the, you're going to want to know each other. So even if you don't get it right the first time, they're going to be there and, the, yeah. and they're going to respond to you uh, and get, because you both have a common interest there. You want to get it right and you have time yeah. to get it right. But when you're actually touring, you don't have the time. So that's why it's tough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I always had one little tick that I kind of used as my test um, in that respect, because I always tell people like, oh, uh, I don't care if you call me Will Chernoff or William Chernoff, but my music being out, we talked about collecting it all in one profile mm -hmm. is the most important to maximize the exposure. It's always William Chernoff. So right. I, that's my acid test for venues. If they put me up as Will Chernoff Trio, I know they right. didn't read my email and I know I have to, it's like my red M&Ms in the rider sort of things, because then right. they didn't see where I said please bill it as William Chernoff Trio because that's what I am on streaming and and that makes it make more sense to people. Sure. Um, so then if I see that they did that, then I'm like, okay, nice. And then if I see that they didn't, then it's like, okay, I need to I need to go get in there a little bit more with these people. Yeah, I need to tighten that up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So this episode will come out on Friday, December 9th, the Vancouver yeah. Jazz Festival for 2023 in whatever extent their programming runs, their submission deadline for local artists here in Metro Vancouver area in BC is this weekend. So this is a question that's on my mind as well. It's also a question that somebody asked me or asked us, what 
do you need to put into your Jazz Fest application and what do you need to consider when you're applying to, I guess not just the Vancouver Festival, I'm thinking of it for sure, but when you are applying to Jazz Festivals in Canada, what do you need to know? Well, what you need to know, and I can speak on this from very firsthand experience, is you have to remember that they're getting a billion applications. And by a billion, I mean a billion. They're getting a lot. And I think that the festival has a pretty good idea of the direction they want to go for a lot of their... So if you take Vancouver... Like, Vancouver's a bit of a crapshoot right now because there's rumors that it's only going to be five days. Is it going to be ten days? They don't have a title sponsor. Does that mean there's going to be more locals? You know, like, all of that kind of stuff. Um... But I think a festival or a program, like, you know, I'll, l- let me use me, the Shadbowl Jazz Walk. I actually don't really take submissions for that. I mean, the Jazz Walk, I have a very clear concept about what I want to do. And it's very centered around the record label. So I look to my releases that have come out for that year first and go, okay, who can I have doing shows at the Jazz Walk who have released records on my label? For those, and then once I get through that, then I work backwards. So I can't speak to what Coastal's concept is, but I think generally they sort of know um, what they want to do, what their overall concept is. So once they get through like some headliners and some medium headliners and, you know, some sort of, sorry, low end is not what I mean, but you know, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> emerging artists, uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. So then all of those other submissions go into this big pot and a lot of time. And again, I I'm only, I'm, this is not, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. So don't read into this, but sometimes you're just throwing darts at a board going, okay, put that there, 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 put that there. One of the criticisms that I had when I worked at Coastal was that I don't think they look at the hierarchy that they probably should. Um, But again, they don't have time. Like, why shouldn't so-and-so have to submit a package just like this other person? What do you mean look at the hierarchy? Well, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I I don't really want to get into names, but like, I'll I'll get into names. Like, you know, should Oliver Gannon really have to submit a package? Right. Right. Like, Oliver Gannon is one of the greatest guitar players this country's ever seen. His playing hasn't changed in terms of what he does. Does he really need to submit a package? Right. And I guess the answer is yes, because if you want to play the festival, like, you have to submit something. So I sort of feel sometimes that, 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 I don't quite know how to deal with that. But I think a lot of times the submission process for a festival goes the same way a club. Why should they hire you? Like, are they going to... Is there going to be something that grabs them? Yeah. And that's what you always try to do. But I think a lot of the time with the festival, it's like, okay, like we got to, you know, we've got all of these people. We've got to make sure that we have some female led bands and we've got to make sure that we have this and we've got to make sure we got that. And they're just kind of plugging holes a lot of times. So I think there's some curation. Well, there's very much curation on the top, mid and lower level. And then when you get to the local level, there's some curation that's that's venue dependent and then it's like filling holes. Um, and that's not to say, I'm not slagging Cole or Jeremy. They're my friends. They're, they're two of my only friends at Coastal. You know, we made it through all that. Cra- they do a great job. I have no problem with them. But I, I think 
a lot of it, they will curate as much as they can. And then it's like plug and holes. Like I remember when I worked with Ken Pickering, it was very much like that. You know, they would, the Ironworks series and then they'd get their out series and do, and then it was just sort of like, oh, we put this guy here, plug, 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 plug. Great. We're done. Um, so, you know, the first thing I would say is don't get discouraged if you don't get in. The, the other thing that, that, and people will have a lot to say about this, but I always, it's funny, like people would call me to play at Frankie's or play at the cellar and they're like, I, I'm booked and they'd be all offended or upset that they're not in the jazz festival. I'm like, but you do 58 gigs here. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you play 10 times here a year with your own band. Like, why do you care so much about jazz festival? Like what does jazz festival actually do for your career? Now, one argument is that it's the biggest jazz event of the year and you want your name associated with that. I, I get it. But I don't care. I personally could care less whether I love the jazz festival. I've had great gigs about I could care less whether I play there or not. It doesn't matter. Because I'm doing all this stuff the rest of the year. Jazz festival's just one time a year where maybe you get to a bunch of people that don't come out and support jazz the rest of the year, hear your music, and really what's that gonna do for your career? So always apply and don't be discouraged if you don't get in. And keep applying. Who cares? Maybe just a jazz festival. Like it doesn't matter. You know, does it make you lesser of a musician because you didn't get into the jazz festival? No. Like, and think about it. Like, you sit there and think, I can't believe this person didn't get a gig. Like, they're so good. It's like, well, yeah, because there were 15,000 other people that applied for the same thing you're applying for. And there's only like 40 spots. Yeah. So, it, and look, man, I get offended too. And I, I get upset and I get like, I should have got that grant. I can't believe I didn't get, but. You know, once you're in the product, I remember saying like, once I sat on a jury for Canada Council, I was way less upset that I didn't get the grants that I got turned away for because it felt to me like a fair process. Right. You you talked and, about that on the last episode. That was interesting to hear about the grant jury yeah, and how you have yeah, to allocate at a certain point. And then it's yeah. like, yeah. I don't want to say that the festival, again, I don't want to speak for Cole and, 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 and Jeremy and Ken because... I actually really only booked a very specific series, but again, you know, you've got a board and you've got so many spots and eventually it runs out. Like it runs out. And why should this person get a gig over this person? Is there a, is there a good reason for, you know, is there a good reason Yeah. for, for, so it's hard, you know, it's hard and we're all, look, man, I'm just as sensitive as the next person, maybe more so. I get it. It's hard. It's frustrating. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes getting turned down. But I think you have to look at the overall, you put your best foot forward, you make the best application you can, you hope for the best. And if you don't get it, you try again next year. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. You know? I'm in an interesting spot on that one too. Cause like, at least as far as the jazz fest is concerned, I'm a good example of what we're talking about because I suppose, um, so I think I applied for the first time in, uh, in 2015. So I right. would have applied 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 2020, we're not going to count because that didn't end up happening. And then 2021, I didn't apply because I thought it would be kind of a gong show with uh, them having to rebook 2020 people, et cetera. I just took a pass on that one. And right. then I applied for 2022. And for this upcoming year, 2023, I've got my application in. Uh, but this one's still pending. So I have applied six times and I've never heard back. And my reaction to that is, 
that makes total sense because if you look at my age and my experience when I applied most of those times, it's like 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. So like, of course, it's a crapshoot. And if I got into any one of those, I would be very fortunate, right? Some of my friends right. that age do get to play at the Jazz Fest and they know, I think they know that they are fortunate to get that yeah. opportunity. So even though uh, I would be a little upset year over year to never hear back, I don't think I quite would say that that's, you know, that's, it, it's what I expected pretty much. Now it's interesting now because I also, I never really uh, got it all figured out to get myself booked at local jazz clubs in the past years when I was younger too. And uh, I think now that I have done that, like I, I just played, even though it's not the main show, you didn't book me. I was technically on stage at Frankie's for the first time. Uh, I played at the tangent for the first time, even though I've been in the bar probably over 200 times over the years as a fan. Um, I played at second floor a couple times. I've played at Tyrant Studios a couple times now. Uh, I think the difference was something that I pulled out as our bonus episode highlight when we were away this summer, which is getting known for what you do and, and being specific about the intention of the project that you want to bring and showing people, this is my group. This is what I want to bring. I never put it together in the past years. I didn't have that. I, I didn't have enough specific material about the thing I wanted to bring. But now, you know, I have a live video that's a full tune of the, of the group that I'm performing with. I have an album out with the group that I'm performing with. I have photos mm -hmm. that Vince has taken and that other people have taken yeah. of the group that I'm performing with. So it just, it makes sense to the clubs for the first time. And so that's why now I can get a couple gigs. Whereas before I didn't know why not. And I'm wondering if that's mm -hmm. the same for the jazz festival this coming year, we'll see. Uh, but I yeah. think now I'm, I'm on the right track in terms of applying because now I have a project. I have enough pieces filled in the puzzle that it's starting to be able to make sense to other people. Yeah, and I, I think the only, re well, not rebuttal, but the only thing I would say about that is don't, you may be right, but you also may be wrong. It might have nothing more to do than... You know, they were just, they didn't, I mean, look, man, there's no way they can actually look and listen to everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> they can. It's not possible. It's, it's just not humanly possible. Yeah. What goes into what they do listen to versus what they don't, I don't know. Because the difference with me and the reason I'm not, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it, but the reason that I'm not the best to talk to about it is that I always know what I want to do. The only reason I take solicitations at Frankie's is because I have to. And I'm open enough to know that I need other options because we go to what we're comfortable with. A lot, mm -hmm. but I don't need everything I do, whether it was the Pyatt Hall series at the coast at coastal Frankie's jazz at the bolt. Um, uh, my shad bolt series, like year round, I already know what I want to book. It's curated. It's, cu it's very highly curated. And I'm not suggesting that coastal is not, but they, certain things are curated and then other things aren't. And so. That's why I say don't not to get offended. It doesn't mean they don't like you. Like it's none of that's it's none of that. It's just they curate what they curate, 
and then they've got a billion bands for 30 spots. Mm-hmm. And the odds aren't good. Like, you know, how many people are sitting on the sidelines that are burning that don't get gigs? Like hundreds. So I know that doesn't help in the moment, but just keep doing your thing. The festival gig, I've done a, I've done a gig at the festival every year. It hasn't changed my career one bit. So I say that, and I've hmm. done, I, I opened with, for Mavis Staples with Dr. Lonnie Smith. I played an outdoor show with Terrell Stafford. I played with Crash. I did last year, I did with the big band with Carl, like every year. And it's just, it's fun. I love it. I love them. Um, the festival is a great time of year, but it's not career changing. It's just a jazz festival. And mm-hmm. if your name's not in it, well, you know what? Je- people think about the jazz festival from the time they announce it to the time it's over, which is like three months, four months, and then nobody cares anymore. But you see your name at Frankie's, you see your name around town. Like that's how, you know, playing at Herman's, Victoria, like that's how you expand your name and your brand. Not playing at the jazz festival. And that's not, I'm not trying to crush the festival. I love the festival, but that's, and that's my, you know, this all goes without saying, this is my opinion. Yeah. That's, that does go without saying here. That's, that's all clear. That's good. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was performing with early spirit, yeah, I learned that in our kinds of music, whether that's folk Irish music or whatever to, to jazz and improvised music, any kind of like non pop music, Mm-hmm. No individual gig is career changing. None of them no. are ever big enough to be. Like the best early spirit gigs were $5,000 festival gigs ish plus all expenses and lodging, right? Yeah. Like those were like the the awesome festival gigs that when we got those, we celebrated our butts off and we were so excited to play those gigs. Sure. And we, you know, maybe the first time we did one of those gigs, we thought that it would change everything. But no, of course it doesn't. It's a lot of money. Yes. That's nice, but it is not no no one gig like that is ever career changing. They are not that big. They're bigger, very, but they're you know, not. I was, I was talking to um I was talking to Lydia Liebman who's my publicist. And um you know, we got one of the records on the label got nominated for a Grammy. For, which for is a Grammy. Very it's very exciting. And so she's got this Grammy push package. And I said to her, like, you know, I talked to the artist. They said, will you split it with us? And I said, well, yeah. So I talked to Lydia and I said, like, well, you know, well, what does this mean? She's like, it's not going to change your life. It's pretty cool. It's a great look for the label, but it's not going to change anything. Metalwood won the Juno, whatever, six, seven years ago. I didn't get another order from my distributor. I still got, you know, 500 Metalwood CDs sitting in my basement. They didn't tour, uh, you know, I got a, a new Casper mattress out of it, which is great. But I, I mean, <laughs> that's like, that's, it's not life changing. So, you know, I just think that, you, and I, I do understand musicians wanting to be associated with the biggest jazz event. That's the argument that I accept. It's the biggest jazz event of the year. And I feel like as a jazz musician, I need to be a part of that, but if you even break that down, it's like, really, like, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. Because in terms of dollars, like, it's certainly not career changing. That's obvious. But like, in terms of prestige or whatever else, it's not really either. Because it's not like all the important people are going to be at your gig. In fact, probably maybe very few of them will, you know, depending. I would, on ar- sort of I would argue, on. I would argue that filling up Frankie's two nights in a row is far more impactful. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Because it can give you more leverage. Because if you have a great festival date with a, to a to a big crowd at a festival, 
you can't take credit for that. Like not in yeah. terms of using it as leverage for when you book future things. But if you yeah, do it absolutely. at a club, to some extent you can. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's uh it, yes. Yeah, you 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 got it right on. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to I like that. I I think that's a good place to to cool it down because I was going to I was going to maybe pitch into something more retrospective like oh what did we learn this year or something but i think that's a good learning to to go out on because i think there's a lot there's a lot there you know it's it's pretty deep but it hits on something that we all especially when we're applying for festivals or thinking about what gigs we're going to play next year got to remember that no no one gig is going to be life-changing career-changing for the better or the worse right yeah and i think i think just continually thinking long term you know, keeping the game long. And I think that COVID and this crazy world we live in, which quite frankly, sometimes is not that fun. I think it's changed our vision to thinking shorter. And, you know, it, it, it's, and again, sitting in my perch where I'm sitting now, it seems like, oh, well, that's easy for you to say, Corey. But, you know, first of all, I'm not driving a Jaguar and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not bathing in money. Um, but what's allowed me to continue to be viable is continuously thinking about things long-term. And when you think that, there are some pitfalls. Um, but I don't think short-term. I have to think long-term. Like, I have to think long-game. And as soon as you start thinking short-game, I think you really do yourself and your music and your career a big, a very big disservice. You know, very, very big disservice. Um, I think it's important to think long. Long-game always wins in my yeah. opinion. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's a very appropriate place to wrap. Um cool. want to wish everybody listening a Merry Christmas and or whatever you celebrate. And uh we're gonna we're gonna close it out for twenty twenty two here and return with an all new episode in the new year. So thanks to everybody who has given us questions and who has listened to all the topics we've covered so far. I think this has been really cool. Some of the conversations I've had with a couple of listeners who have written me back after we've said things and to be able to send certain episodes or certain moments to people who have asked me questions. I've, mm -hmm. I've been doing that as well. And I've enjoyed hanging out with you here on the regular once a month, Corey. So thanks for the first year partial season here of Jazz Office Hours. And I look forward to doing it again soon. I do too. Yeah. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's often, it's, it's nice to, well, I never like hearing my own voice, but it's nice to hear my answers to some of these questions because it, you know, even though, you know, I'm at a point in my career that's different than probably most of the people asking the questions, um, I'm still in it, you know, I'm still trying to have a career and the principles don't change, you know, I mean, you, you take an established person like myself versus a new person it doesn't change i mean i my road may be a little easier in terms of getting a festival gig but the concept of of everything that we talk about doesn't change so i often find after these episodes and i hear myself answer these questions it's like i i learn a lot too so um and and you know the main thing is to just be try to be accessible to people um and, and, you know, because these questions are no, we didn't have this when I was coming up, mm -hmm. you know, there's no like jazz office hours, like here's an expert, you know, it was very much, uh, 
you know, sink or swim, each man for himself kind of mentality. I mean, I, I had some help along the way, of course, from supportive people, but never in the business world, like never in the, I always had support musically. Um, but there wasn't anything like this where you could talk about the business of music and, and these kinds of things. I mean, you just, you know, I learned everything I learned from failing quite simple, quite, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, protecting everybody from failing. I think that's one of the drags about how things are now is that there's so much out. I think you need to fail. I think you need to go out and fall on your face and get up. Cause that, that for me, that's just the way I learn and it's the way I continue to learn. Um, so it's all this to say, I'm happy to talk to people and I'm happy to be challenged and I'm happy to continue the conversation. Very nice. That's a core value for me too. And I, I feel that that's one for you as well. So I think that's one of the, the fundamental things that we hook up on. So that's why, yeah. that's why I have a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah.